If I don't see him 100% with you today, we all got a bit of a cold going on in my house. If you could pray for Jesse Marsh, she's quite ill at the moment, really bad head cold flu, and seven weeks to go before she gives birth, so quite run down. So I appreciate any prayers there. So before we start, can we turn to John chapter 1, verses 14 to 17? That's John chapter 1, verses 14 to 17. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and called out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who is coming after me has proved to be my superior, because he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth was realized. Through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we just pray today, Lord, that the word will be a blessing, Lord, as we, in a world where there's a struggle and a fight for the truth, Lord, we just pray that you'll show us that your word is truth, Lord. We pray that you will guide us in the new year ahead, Lord, that everything else, Lord, just open our hearts and minds to your word and the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. So to me, the interesting thing, yeah, when I was reading John 1 was John was introducing Jesus, yeah, as God, showing that he came and dwelt among us and that he was before. So he's saying before John the Baptist was, Jesus existed before him as well. And the interesting thing is after he's introduced Jesus as God, the first attributes that he assigns to Jesus is that he's full of grace and truth. And then we see in verse 17 that grace and truth was realized through Jesus Christ. So to me, you'll notice there's a strong correlation between truth and Jesus, truth and God. So today, I actually want to look at, from a biblical perspective, what is truth. And I'm going to look at that in five different ways. So first of all, we're going to see Jesus and God's relationship to truth. We're going to look at what the Bible defines as truth. And then we're going to even ask the question is, how do we know what is even true in the first place? Then we're going to look at how do we know that God's word is true? And then finally, what does this mean for us? How can we actually practically apply this in our lives? So when you look throughout the Bible, even from the Old Testament, the character of God's truthfulness is tied directly into his character. So we see there in the Old Testament in Exodus 34 verses 6, it says, Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in faithfulness and truth. So this whole situation happened that after Moses had to go back up the mountain after having destroyed the tablets, and he asked God to, if he could actually see him. And as God came past him, God speaking directly to him, like in person, was t telling him a bit about himself. And as you can see, and God highlights his own character, was compassionate, merciful, slow to anger, faithfulness. But one of the things he also mentioned right in the beginning, that his core to his character is truth. And we see the inverse of this when we had Balaam in Numbers 23:19. It talks about he was trying to curse the Jews on behalf of their enemies but he couldn't do it because God wasn't letting him. And we see God talking, and he says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and he will not do, or has he spoken, and will he not make good? So there again, he's emphasizing that in the practical sense. He told Moses who he was, and now he actually held up that, and he was saying he's not a man that he's lying. God does not lie. He's truthful. What he says he does, and he does not sin. He does not need to repent. So we see uh, that core to God's character, even from the Old Testament, that he's truthful. We see that again in, when, it's, as we said, starts talking about Jesus. So as we saw in John 1.14, Jesus is full of truth. His very nature is mercy and truth. And that's important because everyone's just like, oh, uh, Jesus, he was just nice. But no, he was more than just nice. He was full of truth. And he said that himself. So you've got John 14, 6. 
Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He's actually attributing the characterness of truth directly to him. And even his enemies recognized this. So the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the lawyers, they always used to question him. And they even came to him, as you see in Mark 12, 14. They came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and defer to no one. You are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay poll tax to Caesar or not? So even his enemies recognized that he didn't show partiality. He didn't double speak. He taught in truth. And then we see this character applied to the full of the Trinity because God's truthfulness, his nature is applied to the Holy Spirit as well. So we see again John 14, 16 to 17. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides in you and will be in you. And you see it emphasized over a couple more times. John fifteen twenty six. When the helper comes, whom I send to you from the Father, namely the spirit of truth, who comes from the Father and will testify about me. And then 1 John 5, 6. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. And to me, this is important. The Bible has highlighted, basically, throughout the whole Trinity, God the Father is truth. Jesus is the personification of truth. And the Holy Spirit testifies and is truth. And to me, we see this is very important, because truth is very important, and it's in God's Word. So it says in John 17, 17, sanctify them. In your truth, your word is truth. And to me, this is important because, as Tony was saying, like, I'll, we see this battle going on, and it's more of a spiritual battle. As we see in Ephesians 16, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, and the world forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places, we see that there's an active spiritual battle going on, and you can see that kind of playing out in the world. And that is why God's character is under so much attack, because if God is truth, you need to attack their characters. Everyone tries to make him out to be a liar, or they always talk about their truth. And it should make sense for us, because God is emphasized as truth. But then we've got the adversary, we've got Satan, who's almost the exact opposite. Because God accounts the devil's nature, the exact opposite, it says from the very beginning, he's a liar. So in John 18, 44, uh, John 8, 44, you are the father of the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father, he was a murderer from the very beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when we see from the very beginning, the spiritual battle is about truth and lies. It's about God's truthfulness, his nature, who he very is, and because of his truthfulness, the gospel but the devil from the very beginning has been a liar. He was the first murderer, and his nature is to lie. That's how he beguiled Eve, subtle lies, difficulty. If you look throughout history, it's always been little lies, 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 lies. It's in his very nature. So when we see that playing out in the realm of the real world, when you see this like, obviously playing out now with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, even with Russia-Ukraine, it's a battle of propaganda, lies, like psychological warfare. It's like what's truth, what's lies, who's telling the truth. It's, it's, no one goes in with a neutral mindset. They're like, let's look what's happening. Uh, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. It's a battle between truth and lies. And that's just a reflection of what we're seeing on earth that's happening in the spiritual realm. Because when it comes to God, he's truth. When it comes to the devil, his very nature is that of lies. So we should not be surprised by this because and it's shown that in that's just the way of the world in romans 1 
verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So it's not just a matter of people don't tell the truth. They actually actively suppress the truth. The devil is actively trying to suppress the truth. So again, we should not be surprised that we see this double standard applied to God's people, whether it be the Jews or believers in Christ. Because to me, the interesting thing, when you saw like Russia, Ukraine, it was like there was this unified response. There was no real two ways. Like outside force came in, used misinformation, and the world like stood, and there was no contradiction. It was like, yeah, that makes sense. And then you see what Hamas did, and it was like even more horrific but it was not the same response. And for me, it's, it's because there's a spiritual battle between truth and lies, and you see that, yeah, so as sad as it is, we should not actually be surprised when you understand God's nature versus the nature of the devil. So, what is truth then? If it's God's very nature of what is truth, how does the Bible define truth? So I thought we could start looking at that at the two words that are used for the word truth when it comes to the Old Testament and the New Testament. So in the Old Testament, the word translated as truth is mostly is the word mostly used is emeth, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And its general definition is truth, trustworthiness, and faithfulness. So to me, the interesting there in the Old Testament. Truth is just more than factual correctness. It's got something more to it. It's, it's trustworthy and it's faithful, which means it upholds something more than just the statement itself. So when God is saying he's, he's truth, he's more than just saying he says correct things. It's saying his nature is that he's also trustworthy in what he says and he will be faithful to what he says. So in the English language, first truth is just like it's a factual concept. You have truth and then you apply it to whatever. Like, well, people might interpret it differently, but it's just more like a factually correct statement. When it comes to God, it's upholding something that's correct and it's trustworthy and he will be faithful to that. And then the Greek words used in translating for truth is aletheia and aletheis, which is similar but it takes it from a slightly different angle. It talks about, again, the factualness of it, but it also means to not conceal. And I think that's important because sometimes people tell half a truth, but half a truth is a lie. If your purpose of telling a little bit of truth is actually to mislead people, tell something apart. So being truthful is more than just saying something. It's to not conceal. So like, Sometimes people say, oh, but I didn't say anything. That's actually being untruthful. If you know something and you know that truth can shine a light upon something, reveal something that is true, or if someone's been falsely accused and you almost say nothing, you've concealed the truth. So silence of truth is just as bad as lying. And this is important, because if God's central character is truth, that means... <coughs> and said it's more than just correctness, which is why we see in Second Timothy 3 when we saw that God's word is true, and that's why it says all scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So all of God's word's true. If God is true, that means all his word is true. That means from Genesis to Revelation, all his word helps us become better so don't just pick a book here and there or something god's entire scripture is true and because of god's nation it means it's trustworthy and it will be faithful we can trust that it's more than just factually correct it means the promises god will be faithful to them when he says something about advice how to live our lives it can be trustworthy we can put our faithfulness in it so that takes us to the next question How can we even know truth in the first place? Because if you think of it, we as people, we have very limited knowledge. We don't know everything. And 
our memories fail us, we sometimes make mistakes, we sometimes misrecall things. So how can we actually even know something? And there's only really two ways to know something. Either you have to know 100% of everything, or you need to know somebody who knows absolutely 100% of anything, and they tell you something, and they're 100% true and trustworthy in what they said, and that's the only way you can know that it's true. So if you think of it for a moment, if you know 99% of everything, and you don't know 1% of, of something, it's like, how do you know your application of that knowledge is correct? So to me, there's two things. You have knowledge. You can know 100% of all the facts, or 99% of all the facts, but then you need to apply that. And that's where wisdom comes in. You can know a lot of things, but how you apply that knowledge is very different. So if you think about it when you're young, you learn a lot of things, but in your zeal, you can misapply wisdom all the time. And you actually kind of see that happening when you see all these youth movements and stuff like that. They get so worked up, they know some things, but they don't actually use wisdom to discern and apply it, and it can lead you astray. So even as humans, if we know 100% of things and we're applying that knowledge, but there's 1% something we don't know, that could change how we have to apply, how we apply all the knowledge we know. But in actual fact, it's more the other way around. If you think of those people, we probably only know 0.01% of everything at any given time. And we probably don't know 99.9% .9 of everything. We think the entirety of the universe, all God's knowledge of past, present, future, what's happening to everybody individually in the whole world, there's very little we can know. So therefore, the only way we can actually know something is because of the nature of God. I think I've missed the slide of verses, yeah? So I will read them out here. So if you think of it, the only person that can actually be truthful and the only reason we can know something is because of the God of the Bible, which we see, first of all, that God is all-knowing. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 to 20, it reads, We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our hearts before him in whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. So God knows everything. He knows more than just factually everything. He knows our hearts. He knows our minds. That he knows past, present, and future. Also, God is sinless and not immoral. So we see in Deuteronomy 32, verses 4, the rock, his works are perfect for all his ways of just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. And because of that nature of being sinless, we see that God does not lie. So as we read in 20 Numbers, in Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie. So we have God is all-knowing. He doesn't lie. He's sinless. He's not immoral. And thirdly, he has reached out and communicated with us through his word. And I don't think any other religion can make that claim. If you look at all the old religions, false gods, their gods always had characters of lying, stealing, misinforming, not telling the truth, and stuff like that. And even Christ uh, cults that spin off of Christianity, like JWs and stuff like that, uh, how can you actually know that God isn't lying because his previous word, he couldn't keep his previous word true. So the nature of God alone, I think it's only the God of the Bible who claims that about their gods, about their God, that he's all-knowing, he's pure, he does not lie, and he has communicated directly with us. So therefore, the only reason we can know something is because of the nature of God, which takes us back to the very beginning. God has always highlighted his nature, his righteousness and truth. And because of that, that's the only reason we can know anything. So now that we know things, we need to more than just know things. We need to be able to reason through things. How can we actually... We can know a bunch of facts, but how do you apply them? <coughs> so... To me, yeah, so what I'm saying here isn't something I figured out myself. I've been very blessed. There's lots of ministries out there that have kind of helped tackle these tough questions and things like that. So to me, this one is someone who used to work at Answering Genesis, and they kind of moved on. So Jason Lyle, he wrote a book, The Ultimate Proof of Creation, and he 
really looked into this logic and reasoning, like how can we even reason? So how can we know something and how can we apply that reasoning? And we can see again, it comes down to God's nature. Because people talk about it's just logical to do this. It's just logical. What does logic even mean? But we see because of God's nature that we can actually reason through things. So for one example, if we take like the law of logic, everyone, the most common people know is no law of contradiction is I can't be here and be at home at the same time. I can't be the opposite thing at the same time is the basic concept, which just like yeah, everyone makes sense. But why is that even true? And again, it's like because if you think of it, the universe is so big, how because of something in Earth, yeah, applies to laws of logic somewhere out in the universe, who says those laws are still applied? Because reasoning is almost an immaterial thing. Laws of logic isn't like something that comes out of material nature of the universe. So to me, the interesting thing about truth and reason is it's almost something shows that there's more than just a materialistic world. It like speaks against atheism. If nothing exploded, all we have is materialism. How do you have such concepts like reason, right and wrong, logic, like the ability to reason outside of just material? There's nothing from the material nature of the universe that can actually explain these things. And the only thing that can explain that is the character of God. So as we see in... 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless and he, he remains faithful, for God cannot deny himself. So God's very nature just shows logic. God can't be against himself. If God is true, he can't be a lie, he can't deny himself. So, so these simple things like logical reasoning, to be able to know something is consistent across everywhere goes to God's nature, because if God cannot deny himself, if he's made the whole universe, he's created everything, he would do it in a consistent manner. And the interesting thing is, it was that kind of reasoning that led to the modern sciences. So it's very interesting when you actually look at all the founders of like modern science, most of them were Bible-believing Christians, because they took the approach, God is consistent, he's true, he says what he says, and therefore he will make things in a consistent manner. Before that, if you look at it right in the past, religion and or superstition and science almost intertwined. You had the magi of the Babylonians that like that Kewan's been talking about, like superstition and science all very tightly came together. And that meant like knowledge actually grew very slowly. But when people took God's approach to knowledge, we had a burst of knowledge in like the last two hundred years that was unprecedented. And to me, that's why you can almost see Israel being an exception in the Middle East and stuff. They at least apply God's values and principles, so they know things are consistent. They can they can apply those, they can apply reasoning well. And then you also see in today's world where we've moved away from religious thinking, some of the science out there that is proposed is almost becoming like superstition. So really interesting articles in the BBC, like some scientists are actually believe that it's our perception of reality is the same as just being in like a virtual reality. So things like science fiction movies, they almost think is real. So if you, if you think of it, that is kind of leading back to that kind of thinking where you have superstition and religion, like false religion intertwined with science. So as I said, God's character kind of explains that consistency in what we see. So as you see, God is immaterial. So in John 4, Verses 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So God's nature, before anything else, is spirit. He's not physical in nature first. He's spirit. So his nature, we expect to see more than just a material influence on the world. So things like morality and knowledge and knowing things are immaterial in nature. Like Laws of logic apply everywhere. They even apply to the physical, and that kind of makes sense because God is immaterial. He's spirit but he upholds everything. So as I said, God is consistent, does not change. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. We see that he does not lie, as we saw in Numbers 23. And God upholds everything. So Hebrews 1, verses 2 to 3. In the last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the world, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things 
by the word of his power, when he made the purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand, majesty on hearts. So, it's, so we see here that Jesus has made everything and upholds all things. And before everything, God was in spirit and truth. So again, it's only by God's nature that these sorts of things make sense. So that's the things I'm trying to say. When you, if you come from a materialistic worldview, being able to know something doesn't really make sense. Because how do you explain these sorts of immaterial concepts if there was only material universe? But the biblical God is the only one with the character and his nature that makes sense of these things. So, yeah, so God gives us an ability to reason. He made us. He designed us. He's consistent. And to me, and that's interesting because, like I said in the beginning, we don't have knowledge. We, our memories fail us. We live in a fallen world, so we get confused. We should not be able to know anything, but because God made us and made us in his image, we can be confident that we can know some things. And because of that, we can be confident that we can know what he said is true. So let's see how this applies to other worldviews. So I said, from a materialistic, atheistic worldview, if materialism is all there is, you have to kind of explain everything. So if nothing exploded into everything and everything happened by chance, and if everything only gets developed for survival purpose, how can you actually trust your senses? Who says your senses weren't developed in a way that just gave you a survival instinct but didn't actually represent the world properly? Who, why do our eyes see the way they see and oh, do they actually show things properly? Why do our ears work properly? Why do our smell, taste, touch? Why do they actually accurately represent the world if things just gave a temporary survival advantage? Now, if that's the only reason for our senses, there's nothing that says that they sense incorrectly. And as I said, and to confuse, as we said, and we can actually test that our senses fail us. So we actually know that our senses don't work. Our mind doesn't always work. Our memory doesn't always work. We see things and don't understand them properly with sort of an illusion or an angle and stuff like that. So by a materialistic definition, we know our senses don't work. So how can we even trust them in the first place? And therefore, if you, if you can't reason of that is, that almost creates this idea of like, we can't trust anything, we can't know anything. And that's kind of the logical conclusion of an atheistic worldview, is that you can't know anything, so there's no real purpose to anything. And you see that play out, was the two most modern philosophies that came out of a materialistic worldviews, like existentialism and nihilism. Before like the materialistic worldview, philosophy used to at least be like, how can we know God? So it was man's attempt to try to understand God. Once you went to materialism, that even stopped. Modern materialism philosophy is that nothing is meaningless. And therefore, you can only find meaning in yourself, which I think is, and that's a contradiction in of itself. So, as I said, nihilism, existentialism, which is the outworking of materialistic thinking, is they both admit that everything is meaningless from a, a, a materialistic worldview. So therefore, you can only apply meaning in yourself, and once more from like a positive sense, once more from a negative sense. But if there is no meaning, finding meaning in yourself is meaningless. And if you want to see that when you look outside the world, we now live in a country where two, three generations have been told everything's materialistic, everything's meaningless. You can see the sadness in the world. They don't have meaningless, they don't have a foundation. And if you think that's why the young people of today have the largest mental health problems we've ever seen, because if, not, if everything's meaningless and you try to find meaning in yourself, that's going to be meaningless. But we also know because we've fallen, if you try to find meaningless in yourself, you're just going to find a sinful nature, a darkness that you're going to try to cover up. So to me, the outworkings of materialism show that you can't actually know anything. You can't have meaning. And they even almost basically admit it themselves with these outworkings of these philosophies. But why do they do that? And we see in Romans 1, verses 25, for they exchanged the truth of God for falsehood, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. And we've seen 2 Timothy 4.4, 4, and they turn their ears away from the truth, and they turn aside to myth. 
So the reasoning for going that direction, if you actually get down to the bottom of it, is because they don't want to honor God. They don't want to be held by his standard. They want to have their own standard. So therefore, they suppress the truth. They, they know the truth, but they would rather worship the, the creature, the creator. Which you see today, what's all the biggest movements? It's all, it's all like climate change, earth worship and stuff. Like the biggest movement in the Western world, they threw God off. They only have materialism. They have nothing left. The only thing they have left to worship is the created instead of worshiping the creator. To me, and then you've got, you can turn aside to other worldviews. And then you got, so you move away from materialism and you have other religions. So other religions actually believe in a creator. So can't they account for the same principles of knowing stuff? And I kind of divided up into three categories, which is ones who say that the Bible got corrupted, so they got a new message. Then you've got another group that says you can't understand the Bible for yourself. You have to listen to these other people and listen to their books and teachings. And then you've got a third one, which, are, uh, which is all the other kind of religions around the world. So in the first one, the interesting one, which say uh, the Bible got corrupted, this new revelation helps you understand that that kind of is the religions like Islam, JW, Seventh-day Adventists, Mormons, they kind of fall into that category. They say, oh, the Bible got corrupted, so our prophet got the new message. This is the new way. But with even knowing very little about those religions, you can almost discount them because they basically admitted that God is not trustworthy and he can't keep his word true. So if the Old Testament is corrupted, the New Testament is corrupted, who says your book isn't going to get corrupted? If God has failed twice to keep his word true, who says he's able to keep your word true? And who says you can even know what truth is? So to me, like just from like a logical reasoning perspective, they almost discount themselves by their claim. Because they're basically admitting God can't keep his word true. And then, and you see that with Islam, like they're so obsessed with like, no, the Quran is true. But then when they find all their things, they, they all contradict themselves. You've got so many different versions out there. Even those like special sheepskins where we've had Jay Smith come show, like when they x-rayed them, they found different versions on them. Which ironically almost affirms what they're saying is if God can't keep their word true, their word can't be true. So, to me, like, by the, de by the definition of their claim, they prove themselves false. So, obviously, you can go into it more and study it more to help with evangelism and stuff, but almost as somebody, but you can almost, without really studying their religions, you can be confident in your faithfulness in the Bible because their very claim proves them wrong and upholds the truthfulness of God's word. I think the other ones you have is like where they claim the Bible is true, but you can only understand it through their special teachings. So they're like kind of like group religions like Catholicism and Talmudic Judaism. They claim the Bible's true, but they say the average person can't understand it. You have to, has to, you have to understand it through their sages, their, their rabbis. You have to be taught what it means. You can't go find it out for yourself. But then even that means how do you know what they're saying is true? If they are men... And as you saw, and they don't know everything themselves, and they make mistakes and can be proven to get things wrong. Who says what they are teaching you is the truth then? What, what justifies them to have that title as I know this better than you, I can teach this better than you? So it's almost they rely on the strength of their own hum humanity in order to hold that position, which then basically shows as false, was as we've seen, we are fallen, we make mistakes, we lie, we are sinful, our senses, our memories fail us. Our reasoning isn't always correct. So if we're relying on human strength to uphold truthfulness, it's going to fail. So again, like I said, knowing very little about those things, if you're relying on man's strength and man's secret knowledge to uphold something as truth, then you can't actually know it's true. So again, that kind of falls in on itself. And then you look at other religions... I'm not going to go into this too much, but if you look at all other religions, the characters of their God are very sinful. Like they tell lies, they deceive, they steal, they don't do the right thing. So if they're immoral and they tell lies, who knows what they're saying is true in the first place. So those religions, again, they fall in on themselves because their gods don't have the character for us to be able to know anything. As you saw, in order for us to know something, they have to have all knowledge. So a lot of these gods of all these other non 
Judeo-Christian religions. They don't know stuff. They don't have all knowledge. They're usually quite immoral. They lie and stuff like that. So if they don't know anything and they're liars and immoral, how can you trust anything they say? You can't even know anything. So again, it's just almost the character of God is the only reason we can even know something. So that leads us to the next thing. So if we know God is true, how do we know his word is true? Again, as I said, because... Because God is true, we expect his word to be true. But how can we test that for ourselves? Because if we went to somebody and we just say, I believe the Bible, why? Because God said it's true, why? Because I believe the Bible. It's just like we need something more than that. Because anybody can say that about any religion. But because God is true and God is consistent and trustworthy, we, we all expect to see that in his, in his word in the Bible. Because if he's come down, communicated with us, wrote things down, said things about things, made claims about things, it should hold up. And I think in, in the Bible, we can actually show that's true. So what I'm showing you, this is more was helpful. So Jay Seeger, who spoke recently yeah, from like Starting Point Ministries, he does a really good talk on this. So hopefully I'll do justice in trying to do this. That's, like, everything I'm going to show you, this could almost be an entire like, conference on their own, each one of these points. There's so much involved. So I'm going to try to summarize it. But he has a good like, five-point series that kind of goes in, how can we actually know the trustworthiness and truthfulness of God's word? And he kind of highlights four things. It should be internally consistent. If God's true, and the Bible's actually 66 books written over millennia, it, sh it should be consistent what everything's saying. The claims it makes about history should be consistent. When it talks about how things work, like science knowledge, we expect it to be true, and then... I think quite a big one if it's starting to make claims about the future do they actually come true so prophecy and the bible i believe we can show is consistent in all these things which no other book no other religion can actually claim which is almost a miracle on its own you can see there's something more than just man involved in god's word so as I said, the interesting thing when you look at god's word is true from an internal consistency point of view if you think of the book was written over thousands of years there's 66 books in the Bible. I think they say 44 different authors of different varying levels of education and knowledge and stuff. Yet whenever they talk about big controversial topics, morality and all these things, they're always consistent. They're always consistent about lying, wrong, stealing, whether it's about like, marriage, or, or everything it talks about. It's from Genesis to Revelation, God's morality is consistent. It's true. that They don't contradict each other. That's why you have like such a big push from like atheism and like Rikazor. They're desperate to prove the Bible inconsistent because that would then prove it's false. But nearly every contradiction they show in the Bible is usually 99% of its time. If you just read the whole paragraph, you would know, like, yes, that's not what it says in the first place. And the other 1%, it just takes a bit of Bible study. If you look at the context and the history, it doesn't actually show that it's internally consistent. And we are blessed that we live in a time if someone comes to you and say, look at this contradiction, you just say, okay, that's interesting, let me go research. And you've got like, ministries like Answering Genesis, Creation Ministries International, J.C. Like, people have spent a lot of time looking to all of these, and most of them are really simple to answer. We don't have to be afraid. And the Bible has been consistently attacked since the Enlightenment age. So for hundreds of years, people have tried to prove it wrong, and they just can't do it. And that should give us a faith. And that's what I said, we almost, we can, like, stand on the shoulders of people who came before us who've just answered all these questions. The Bible has shown to be consistent, and not just 99% of the time, 100% of the time. And that's amazing when you look at over thousands of years. And the other interesting one is when you look at how do you know God's word is true because of just how much manuscripts there are about it. I'm not going to go into the big details about it, but when you look, like, you've got lots of ancient writings, and the one ancient writing with the most manuscripts is only 1,800. And the academic world will say, yes, we're pretty happy with what it says. The Bible, you have Old Testament, there's over 5,600 
manuscripts of the New Testament. So, and then you've got translations of that, which is almost in the 20,000. And then you've got Old Testament manuscripts, which is in the 42,000. So the whole Bible is like 66,000 manuscripts. And when you actually look at that, they are pretty consistent. They don't change. And the affirmation of that even came from the Dead Sea Scrolls. They found the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were like thousands of years ago. They x-rayed them, they looked inside them, and it pretty much has not changed. God has kept his word true. And the interesting thing is when you look at these ones, there's only 1,800. You start getting massive discrepancies in those really quickly. Just in 1,800 of 96, you find discrepancies in those manuscripts. In the 66,000 Bible manuscripts, there's like it's spelling errors, like word swapping, but mostly it's it's like it's true. It's it's the amazingness of how that holds up is is very good. It's it defies expectations when you look at other writings. So we can actually be showing the consistency that God's word hasn't changed. So as I said, historically and archaeologically, the Bible holds up. So I think Q1's done a good job of that over the last few months. And just looking at Daniel, all the, like, the archaeology is shown as part of Daniel, all those amazing writings they found and stuff that just proves. When the Bible talks about places in history and time, time and time again, it's proved true. And they've always made claims, oh, that thing they've said is wrong. And then like 50 years later, they dig something up. Oh, actually, it was right, sort of a thing. So there's a whole thing of archaeology and stuff. It just shows that no other religion has. The Book of Mormon makes all these claims of what happened in America. Not one even shard of pottery can attest to that. The Bible oh, time and time again shows that it is true. And again, when it comes to science, the Bible's not a, t a science textbook, but it makes claims about things. And when it does, it has shown to be consistently true. So one interesting one I'll just think about, the Bible always talks about in the Old Testament that the stars are uncountable. And we kind of just take that for granted. We, yeah, we kind of carry on. But if you actually think about it, when he told that to Abraham, Abraham didn't, he wasn't on top of mountains and didn't have telescopes. The stars were actually countable in his day. If you sat with no light pollution, you could actually count the stars. And you had entire religions, entire people groups, the whole thing was they counted the stars and monitored the stars. And they could actually tell you how many stars in the night sky they could see and they could track their movements. So in, in the days of the Old Testament, the stars were countable. But God time and time again has emphasized the stars were uncountable. The stars were uncountable. And the more, and then you come to the modern age, we launch these amazing telescopes into space. And the deeper they look, they find more and more and more stars. They think they have a number for how many stars there are. And they look further, they look deeper. Then, no, the number needs to become bigger. It's almost, I think the last estimate was like 10 trillion of 10 trillion stars they think is there. And to them, it even makes no sense, because when you look in that far out, there shouldn't be that many stars. And it's amazing. God made that claim, and we see that out there in the universe. And he knows each one of them by, by name. It just shows the power and strength of God. <coughs> and again, like with prophecy, as we've seen on the book of Daniel, how amazing his prophecies were about the history of the world and how it played out. That's why they're so desperate to show that Daniel was written after the events happened. But when you look at all those manuscripts, it pretty much shows it happened before. But the prophecy is that the ability to predict the future has been amazing. And then you just look at all the messianic prophecies, over 300 messianic prophecies about Jesus, and he just hit them one by one by one. The odds of that happening are almost impossible. There's only one book that can hold up those four characteristics and that's the bible no other religious book can do that not even like secular science books are this consistent through everything which is why we can know god's word is true as it says in john 17 says, sanctify them in the truth your word is truth so that's as it god's very nature is true but he never left us with wondering what that truth is he's giving us that word so the point i'm trying to make is in a world where we are we we don't know what's going on. We don't know with the news and the events and everything. With our limited knowledge, there's lots we're not going to know. But what we do know, if you want to know truth, look in God's word. In a world of not knowing much, if you want to know something 100% sure, look in God's word, you will know truth there. So what I'd actually encourage everybody to do is that Jay Seeger thing, is the little half an hour episodes but I actually encourage everybody to just go watch it. I think it's very important that we ground our faith in the trustworthiness of God and his word. I think we need that in today's world. Because if you look at 
like Church of England, all these things, people stopped trusting God, stopped trusting his word, and everybody moved away from it quickly. So what I'd say is just Google the starting point project. It'll come up in Google. You, you click there. They've actually enabled all their videos for free. So you literally just click on video streaming free. You log in. You click all access. And then he's got this five-part series where it goes into a bit more detail of these five points I made. And then a little half-an-hour series, and it just dives deeper into them. So it's not going to be confidence, but it will give you enough to show you the confidence. And if there's anything of interest, you can just keep going deeper. And deeper, and then you can know God's word is true. Because as it says in the Bible, every word of God is tested. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, or he'll reprove you, and you'll be proved a liar. That's what I said. When you add to his words, you'll prove the liar. And we've seen that with all the other religions. We've seen that when people take it apart. And I found an interesting quote from Kurt Cameron. So he was a Hollywood actor, became a Christian. And he said something very interesting. I mean, a lot of times when people have doubts with their faith, they almost shy away. They hide from it. They don't want to look into it too deeply in case they are proved wrong. Well, I say with the Bible, actually the opposite. If you actually have doubt in your faith, go research apologetics in that area. Because God's word has shown to be consistently true over and over and over again. And on top of that, there's such good ministries out there. I said, yes, we live in a tough time in this world today that we see. But in one sense, we are blessed because we have all this information to strengthen our faith at our fingertips. And we should make use of them. So, so looking back, we can see that God is truth. His word is truth. He's the only one who can account for us to even know anything. So we should really lean into that in a time where it's hard to know anything. It will tell you how to live, how to reason, how to understand the times around us. And it also means that his promises are true. So what does this mean for all of us? So if God is truth, according to the biblical definition, he will tell us the correct things. He is trustworthy in what he says and he's faithful to his promises. So therefore, we can actually use God's word to understand the world around us. It can strengthen us in our faith. Because we can know he's true. We don't have to look at the Bible and be like, oh, let's allegorize this text. Let's change the meaning of this text because it conflicts with world thinking or we don't want to be seen as like in conflict with science and stuff. We don't need to do it. We can be trustworthy. We can believe it from cover to cover. It will help us understand things. Therefore, it actually makes the Bible a lot easier to read. You can read it and be like, oh, there's no agenda. How do I understand this? You just read it. For what it says, God is true. He's trustworthy. He's faithful. And if you need help on something, just we have this fellowship. We talk about it. We reason about it. We understand God's word. That's what God says. We need to reason among us. I think the most important thing is if what God says is true and he's trustworthy, that means the gospel is true. And it's trustworthy. That means we can have full trust. We can have full faith and hope in his gospel. We can know that our sins are forgiven. We can know that he came to earth as a man. We can know that he was fully God. We can know that he did not sin. And therefore, we can know that his sacrifice actually was able to cover all our sins. We can know that he rose from the dead and has defeated sin and death. And therefore, we can know that when we put our faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that we are forgiven. We don't have to doubt our, the forgiveness of our faith. We don't have to be, I'm not good enough. I've sinned, I've fallen. We can fully trust in the gospel and know that we are fully saved because God's nature is trustworthiness and faithfulness. It's the thing he tells us most about himself. And I think in that it can give us peace. The Bible talks about a peace without understanding. And I think you can only have that with God. Because you have someone greater than you, bigger than you, you can reach out to. When you are anxious, when you are struggling, when things are hard, you can turn to God's word and now I've got a source of truth that will strengthen me. And when you read God's promises, you know he's truthful and faithful. He will uphold his promise. He will... When things are difficult, he will carry me through them. He will make me stronger out of difficulty, not weaker. We can have that. We can know that we can have a stronger faith in those promises of God, which can give us a peace. I think when we trust God's word, it can help us discern the things around us. When somebody comes with a new message or a new teaching or something new, it's be like, but God's word says differently. And we can trust it. We don't have to be like, oh, they're coming with something new. Have they done something clever with it?
to help us resist the devil as the father of lies, because we have truth, we have something to contrast with everything. I think importantly, with everything going on around us, we are reminded that the battle is first a spiritual battle. So before we look down to see what's happening, we can look up, look to Jesus, we can pray, we can know truth, and then we can look down and help that discern us. I think if we only got our head looking down, we'll be overwhelmed with what's going on. But if we look up and we can see Jesus and we can know his truth and his peace, we can have that, and then we can see, okay, what's the best way to be effective in this world around us? So it's not like we only got our head in the clouds and we ignore what's going on below us, but we can trust Jesus, we can go prayer, we can focus on the spiritual things which will help us be practical in our day-to-day lives around us. I think finally it gives us confidence to go share the gospel. Because we aren't sharing something we know that is false, that isn't true. We, we know that it's true. We know that it saves. So we can have confidence in sharing the gospel. So hopefully you can see today that we have a faith like no other. So to me, it was, it was a really a blessing trying to prepare this, because you come out of it and you just, we don't have those worries, those anxieties that every other religion or even the prayers have. We don't have meaninglessness, we don't have emptiness, and we can actually know what Jesus is, and we can be confident in our salvation, because God is trustworthy and true. So hopefully this strengthens you in your faith for the times ahead. Let us close in prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, we just thank you that you've actually come down and communicated with us, Lord. We thank you that truth is part of your nature, Lord. When we look at the world around us, religion around us, there's no one like you. You're true in what you say. You're trustworthy in what you say. You're faithful in your promises, Lord. Not only that, is you're not a liar. You've come down and you've told us your truth, Lord. So in a world of uncertainty, you've given us certainty. You've given us a foundation to stand on that we know won't be toppled over, Lord. We just... Pray that you will help us all grow in our faith at this time, Lord, that we'll be strengthened, that we'll have your peace, Lord. And we pray that you'll give us the confidence to go out and share this with the world, Lord, as they desperately need it. In Jesus' name, amen.